Hey, this is Charles for the Weekend Film Tech, June 6th, 2019. I'm talking about two things and two things only this week. The Mac Pro and the Panasonic S1H from Cinegear. All right, everybody. So this is Charles Hain, Weekend Film Tech. And actually, I'm going to start with Hey Professor. Hey Professor. Actually, he didn't say Hey Professor, but Zachary Livingood said, I'm going to need a new podcast from Charles Hain to explain why this Mac Pro is everything. So, Zachary Livingood, first off, you can always reach me at Twitter, at Charles Hain, but this is the podcast you asked for, explaining why the Mac Pro is everything. So let me give you a little context on all of this before we go into why the new 2019 Mac Pro is so exciting. Originally, Apple had a very strong business working with professionals. That was their deal. That was their thing. That was their niche. They worked with artists. They worked with filmmakers. They developed new technology. In the 90s, professionals are what really kept Apple alive. They let PCs go consumer, and they had the professional market. And in fact, I had I started my first business with a cheese grater Power Mac G5. Um, I, learned, I cut my thesis on that, working with the wonderful editor Nels Bangerter, and then uh, I, I taught myself After Effects to do a lot of the motion graphics for the opening titles, not the animation. The animation, wonderful animator, also working After Effects. Um, and then I taught myself to color grade on it, and I did like a couple little color grading jobs on it. I eventually cooked the graphics card, and I was so new, I didn't know what a graphics card was. And I had to like go on online forums to like troubleshoot what was dying about my machine, and I learned about it. And then I discovered how easy it was to, like, open up that side panel, pop out that graphics card, replace it with a new one. And that flexibility, that DIY thing was so cool to me. And I loved that about the original cheese grater design was that it was like one little hitch and you could open the side and everything was all splayed out in an easy to understand pattern. And there was so much help online in order to support you through the process of upgrading components when they burnt out. And filmmakers are always going to burn out graphics cards or upgrading components, adding new components, changing the layout, all that kind of stuff. The cheese grater was super cool. I went on to found a post company and we ended up, I think we had like six Mac pros at one point and like a dozen iMacs. And uh, we had a couple of 12 cores, which were always kind of buggy, but the six cores were great. The eight cores were great. And um, these were the reliable workhorse of motion picture post-production for a long time for a lot of different reasons. One of the big reasons, obviously, is that filmmakers love the Mac OS because ProRes is really robust and because it's They've done a lot of job, a good job of catering to creatives and Final Cut Pro 7 was very popular for a long time. And that only worked on Mac. So there were a lot of things pushing filmmakers to Mac, but it was also the hardware itself. It had physical handles on top that made it easy to move around the facility, easy to pick up. And I can't tell you the number of times I took one of those cheese graters to set like buckled into the back seat of my old Volvo station wagon. And like you could run the seatbelt buckle through the loops and it would sit in place. And like, it was great. It was a very robust design that worked really well for a filmmaking tool and a professional tool. And frankly, it was very expensive for what it offered. It wasn't very expensive for what it offered. I'm going to take that back. It cost money for what it offered. Hardware for hardware, spec for spec. If you compared it to a PC, you were paying a little extra. Not a lot extra, right? A lot of people obsess about Apple's numbers, but then once you think about all the software that comes bundled with it and the resale value, you know, a four-year-old PC resells for nothing. A four-year-old Mac will often resell for, you know, 35% of what you bought it for, which is not nothing. Uh, for about a decade, I was always buying a new Mac every year and then selling my one-year-old Mac and it would only have lost about 15% of its value. And it was actually a very affordable way to stay up to date on my hardware. The original Mac Pro hardware was a phenomenal professional tool, and it was for like a decade, and you saw them everywhere. 
and you still see them everywhere. And if you still go on otherworldcomputing.com, you can buy all sorts of like SSD replacements for the DVD drive and ways to reconfigure it and speed it up. The only thing you can't do is you just can't add Thunderbolt. 2012, we all knew that it was getting a little bit long in the tooth, the Mac Pro. You could go buy a laptop with Thunderbolt 1, the 2012 MacBook Pro. In 2013, the 2013 MacBook Pro came out, and you could buy that with Thunderbolt 2, but you still couldn't buy a Thunderbolt desktop, and we all knew a new desktop must be coming. But it was taking a while, and it was late, and updates weren't happening very often, and it would be like two years between processor upgrades on the website, and it was, it didn't feel great. And then the 2013 came out, and the 2013 was a misstep. It was an exciting misstep. It was an interesting misstep. But if you've not r- worked with one, the 2013 Mac Pros, they're called the R2-D2 or the trash can. They're a little cylinder. And they completely rethought computer design. And everything was integrated. And everything was smooth. And it was one fan running up through the middle. And, you know, when you burn through those graphics cards, and filmmakers burn through graphics cards, that's what we do. When you burn through that graphics card, you have to send it back to Mac to get serviced. Or if you want to service it in the field, it's not easy. And if you want to, like... If you want to keep it cool, it's really complicated. I can't tell the number of times I was working on this one job in winter and it kept overheating and we had to have the window open to let the cool winter air in because it was getting so hot on its own. It was just never the machine we wanted it to be. And then Apple never updated it. And we blinked and it was 2019. It was six years later, half the life of the original double dozen years of the cheese grater. And they never upgraded the specs. If you went two weeks ago to the Apple site, to buy a Mac Pro was the same specs as 2013, which is ridiculous. Like, that's not how the computer industry works. It's certainly not how Apple works. They kept upgrading their MacBook Pros. Between that and the launch of Final Cut Pro X, a lot of people didn't feel like Apple was really taking filmmaking seriously for a while. Around 2016, it started to feel like Apple was going to take filmmakers more seriously. We started to get, first off, some major improvements to Final Cut 10. Final Cut 10 came out in a pretty limited capacity, but you started to see more professional productions and professional tool sets and all that great stuff. But we really started to see some, like, hints on the hardware side, like they did this thing. 2017, maybe, TechCrunch reporter got to visit the Apple Creative Campus and see what they were working on and get some hints, which, like, is not something Apple would have really done in the past. You know, we started to get, like, dedicated H.265 processing hardware built into the laptops. And that's going to be huge for filmmakers because H.265 is becoming the dominant delivery format, and it was really long to encode before we had that hardware. So you started to see Apple really start to take filmmakers serious again, which is super exciting. And then came an official announcement that there would be a new Mac Pro, and that's super exciting. And, and I have to say it for the first time I can think of with Apple, they on stage were like, and now this is back. I don't know exactly what they said, but they said something like, and now PCI is back, which is as close as you're going to get a corporation to admit that it was a mistake to remove PCI. PCI is the open uh, format that allows interchangeable cards. It's those slots on a motherboard or a logic board in Apple terms where you can put cards in and out. So when you burn out that graphics card, you pull it out of the PCI slot, you put a new one in the PCI slot and away you go. Or let's say it's not even a graphics card. Let's say you want to get video out. You want to get SDI out. You go to Blackmagic, you go to AJA, you buy one of their cards, you can slide it into a slot and it works and it's contained in the box. Your average filmmaker usually has a pretty big graphics card or two in their cheese grater and then some sort of video in and out card and then some sort of card for like hooking up to your monitor, that kind of thing. Very common for filmmakers, right? Audio people are going to have different setups. You're going to see different setups in all sorts of scenarios, but you want those PCI adapters all in one box because it makes it really easy to like just pick that box up and go to set. The 2019 Mac Pro is a return to cheese grater and a return to PCI, which is like incredibly exciting. 
for filmmakers. Now, it comes with some AMD Radeon cards, and it actually comes with some special fancy AMD Radeon cards. So they've made a special slot because it would only be Apple if they'd made a special thing. There's the normal PCI slot, which is a certain length, and now there's the WPX, which is like an extension slot that they built these special cards that take advantage of that extension slot. And it's like two graphics cards built into one. There's room for two of those in the body. So it's the equivalent of having four graphics cards all in the body of the chassis. Uh, They also have a new I.O. card, which is like a Thunderbolt in and out card, which is interesting because there's not a lot of I.O. on the outside of the box. There's a couple Thunderbolt ports on the top and there's two 10 gigabit Ethernet ports on the back, which hooray. I'm so glad we've all moved on to 10 gigabit Ethernet. Fiber channel is wonderful if you can afford that at your facility. Most of us run on Ethernet. I'm so excited now. It's all going to be 10 gig. All of the Apple machines are somehow 10 gig compatible and this guy is two built in but i could have four graphics cards and then a black magic intensity 4k sdi shuttle card and i still have three slots left to put in other stuff i also suspect if i know nvidia we will see some sort of nvidia card taking advantage of that wpx format within a year and that'll be really exciting look amd is super powerful and resolve and premiere and uh, avid are all working really hard to get the power out of those cards but nvidia is really at the forefront CUDA technology is really great. NVIDIA and RED have been working together really hard to make for really fast real-time processing out of affordable NVIDIA cards. I can't wait for there to be an NVIDIA option here. Obviously, Apple's going to have to really integrate that into the OS, but maybe we'll see that. So we've got a cheese grater again. It's a slightly different design, but it's a cheese grater on the front, three giant fans on the back. You can slide the whole case off so you can get at it from all the angles. Things are really replaceable. You can have up to 1.5 terabytes of RAM, which is insane. And I don't even want to know how much that costs. Probably $10,000. It's got handles on the top, so you can pick it up as legs on the bottom, but you can replace them with wheels. Wheels on a computer are great. Yeah, I'm just overall super excited about the Mac Pro. Now, the big drawback to the Mac Pro, the internet is already annoyed about this. $5,999 is the starting. I knew the internet was annoyed about that before I even opened Twitter, because that seems insane. But I don't think it is insane. Look, if you compare it spec for spec for a PC, the PC might be a slightly better deal. But considering the starting specs are pretty aggressive, I actually don't think you're saving that much by building PC. But by staying in the Mac ecosystem, you have access to all sorts of things like all of the ProRes technology natively. Final Cut 10, which is really growing robustly as a program. Full support from a whole bunch of hosts of other applications. And a really easy-to-use operating system that most of us are familiar with in an attractive, client-friendly case. I think it's worth the money if you're a professional. I don't think it's worth the money if you're not billing on it. It's the same as drills, right? You buy a $20 drill if you use that drill once a month at home to hang shelves. You buy a $400 drill if you're making your living on it. 10 hours a day, 5 days a week, you're a carpenter, you make your living on it. When that breaks, you lose money for the day going to get another one. You spend money on tools when you're a professional making money off of it. And if it fails you, you're going to lose money. So if I own a post house and I'm paying colorists $150 an hour, I want a machine that runs quickly so they can work cooperatively with a client and get through more jobs and more time. Or I want a machine that can run so fast that I don't have to pay someone to babysit a render overnight. I can just have someone stay two hours late, which is way cheaper than paying people to work overnight. There's all these benefits when you have fast processing that saves you all these labor costs that make it totally worth it right? So I think it's exciting for that. Apple has also built a dedicated video card called the Afterburner. It's a FPGA. It's like a dedicated ASIC style, like dedicated to video processing that in the demos, we're running three streams of 8K ProRes off this card. Now, you know what I love about this card? Other than the fact that I'm sure it's like $2,000, which is a lot of money, but it 
for $2,000 to get three streams of 8K is wonderful. I love that when you burn it out, and you will, you're going to be able to pull it out and go to the Apple Store. And if you live in New York, it's 24 hours in Manhattan. And buy another at 2 in the morning when you need to finish the project and deliver by dawn. And that is super cool to me. And if they just built it into a 2013-style tower, ugh. but they gave us the flexibility of making this cool afterburner thing, giving it its cool Apple-branded name, and when we burn out the afterburner, we can replace it. And that's what's exciting to me about the 2019 MacBook Pro. Am I going to buy one? I don't know that I'm freelancing enough to do it. If I like two more freelance clients, I do a lot of work on the 2018 MacBook Pro, and it's phenomenal, and I'm not waiting on renders that much. But if I got a little busy with my freelance work, there was more, I might be able to justify it. I don't think I could justify it right now. And I only think you should get one if it's a justifiable expense. If you're looking at the numbers and you're like, oh yeah, this is going to save me so much time and I'm going to be so much faster at this and I'm going to make so much money, more money at that. And you could justify it. And also remember, Apple has traditionally held their value for longer, right? My Power Mac G5, I think I got eight or nine functional years out of those Mac Pros I bought. I would get eight years out of them. This 2019 Mac Pro, you're going to get four or five workable years out of it in a way you're not out of a PC. And it's going to hold its resale value a little bit better. Like, a, you know, I used to buy a new MacBook Pro every year and sell my last year and it would, I'd get 75% of what I paid for it. So I was losing 25% a year, which like try and sell a year old PC laptop and see what you get out of it. So I'm personally very excited about the 2019. The only bummers for me, I would have liked more ports built into it, but I understand. And they gave you a port card and I'm sure there'll be cooler port cards and I'm sure... Other world computing or something will have another port card. So that's super exciting. Yeah, and I wish NVIDIA was in the thing. I also just wish it was $1,000. I would definitely buy one. But I obviously understand that reality exists and there's limits to what you can make for what price. Next up, they came out with a monitor that's even more expensive. It's $6,000. And look, I've spent $10,000 on a Flanders monitor before, so I am willing to pay money for monitors. Their goal with this monitor was to replace a $40,000 reference monitor. All the HDR, all the color accuracy, calibrated at the factory, an etched-on matte coating so you don't have to have, like, a layer for your matte coating. Everything you could ever want out of a monitor in one monitor. And I was really nervous about this at first because the biggest problem for me with a monitor like that isn't getting the display there. It's how you connect to it. So, for instance, many of you have probably noticed if you open a file in QuickTime Player, it'll look different than it looks in VLC, and it'll look different than it looks in Final Cut Pro 10, and it'll look different than it looks in Resolve. And so if the monitor is accurate, but the software showing on the monitor isn't accurate, who cares if the monitor is accurate because the software is ruining it? So I was wondering if there was something happening where Apple was going to be certifying not just the monitor, but working with their software vendors to display accurate images, which would be really interesting. And I'd be very excited to see something like that because someone has to crack this. And if Apple does it, I'd be so excited. But literally, as I was about to walk into this, my second piece of gear news for the week, Blackmagic has already released a Terranex Mini to take SDI signals and put out Thunderbolt 3 compatible DisplayPort 8K signal specifically designed for Apple 6K monitor. Well, what does that mean? So... That SDI signal is a video signal. And a video signal is a very controllable thing, right? Like that example I was saying before, Premiere and Resolve and all that, if you connect any of them to a Blackmagic intensity out and they give out SDI and you plug that into a reference monitor, the video signal coming out of Resolve through the intensity to the monitor and the video signal coming out of Avid or the video signal coming out of Premiere through that intensity to that external monitor it's going to look the same on the external monitor because the video signal is a very tight spec. So this converter, the Terranex Mini, which is designed to work with the Apple monitor, is great news for two reasons. One, it tells me Apple's working with all its people, right? There was a slide on the stage where they were like, 
Avid and Red, and it tells me that they're collaborating with their partners and they're working to be integrated to the whole ecosystem and they're not trying to do it on their own. Two, it also tells me that there are workflows that Blackmagic is going to be really supporting and developing and testing for using this as a reference monitor, which I think is very interesting. So Apple's got a cool monitor with all of the cool specs and maybe a way to connect it to your computer as a real video signal and use it as a real video reference monitor, which is interesting. Now, literally, I just saw this press release. I haven't even written it up yet, but that was super cool news, and I was very excited to hear it. So that was the big story of the week, and our Hey Professor, on to our next story, the Panasonic S1H. All right, so a little bit of backstory to give context for the Panasonic S1H. When digital video first exploded, the real first winner camera was the DVX100, in my opinion. It was the first camera I was really excited about. There was the XL1 before that, and the PD150, and the VX1000, and none of those looked like I wanted them to look. But the the DVX100 was that first camera where I was like, holy shit, I love these images. It could shoot 24p. It was the first one to do that at a really nice color reproduction, which is one of the things Panasonic really prided itself on. It was a beautiful camera. It was super dominant. And then in the beginning of HD, Sony came out with the F900, but everybody kind of hated it because the colors were wonk, which is something Sony had problems with for a long time, uh, until basically the FS7, in my humble opinion. Although they're FS5 Mark II, Venice, phenomenal cameras. Panasonic had the Vericam that only did 720, but it did 720 in slow-mo, which was super cool to have a video slow-mo camera. That was a thing we didn't have before. And 720 and 1080 don't look that different. They look different, but they don't look that different. And uh, the color was great, and the Vericam was wonderful. And they then came out with the HVX200. And honestly, I worked with some producers who did tests between the F900 and the HVX200 and preferred the HVX200. I shot a feature on the HVX200, the first feature I shot, actually. Um, Lots of really cool stuff. They were very dominant in the beginning. And then somehow they lost the beam. I think they really lost it to Canon with the 5D Mark II. Uh, Canon went big sensor 5D Mark II and, and... Holy cow, like that world just sort of took it over. And then the C-Line really took it over and Panasonic's had to really work to get it back. They have the high-end Vericam, which is great. Crazy Rich Asian shot it. The Deuce shot it. Beautiful camera. I love the Vericam LT. They just had a price jump drop from 16000 to 9000 Really exciting. Two years ago, they came out with the EVA1. Love that camera. Big fan of that camera. Hasn't been the hit I thought it would be. But, you know, we're not right much of the time in life. And then... They had a very popular, and this camera is actually so popular, it's probably the reason why the EVA1 wasn't popular, the GH line, these little super 35 sensor size cameras, uh, micro four thirds, M43 uh, sensor size cameras that were super popular. You saw them in docs, you saw them in YouTube, you saw them everywhere, the GH3 and then the GH5, 4 and then the GH5. GH5 had all the specs, 10 bit, 422 internal, and then there's the GH5S, which was like video focused. Super big, very popular camera. And then they came out with the S1 earlier this year, which is a full-frame camera. Which is interesting because of all the major manufacturers, Sony has Venice, full-frame. Red has Montro, full-frame. Uh, Aria has Alexa LF, full-frame. All the big cinema camera manufacturers, I'm sure there's one I'm leaving out and I'm going to hear about it on the tweets, um, have these full-frame sensor cameras. Canon has the C700FF. I did an inter- interview with Nancy Schreiber about shooting with that that you guys should all check out. I'll include it in the links. And all of those cameras, full-frame sensor. Panasonic, the beloved Vericam, great camera, love those sensors, no full-frame sensor camera. The Panasonic S1 stills camera, some video features, not a lot of video features, full-frame mirrorless. And Panasonic, along with Leica and Sigma, are all part of the L-Mount Alliance, which is a, they're using a common lens mount, the L-Mount, 
and uh, they're building some really cool stuff around that. Then this week they came out with the S1H. Now it's $4,000. It's not like a $2,500 mirrorless camera, but it's full frame, mirrorless, L-mount. They're designing a whole bunch of new L-mount lenses specifically designed for cinema use. So like a clutch lens gear and repeatable focus and stuff like that. Uh, 6K 24P. It's not confirmed, but it's looking like 100 megabits internal recording and maybe 200 megabits internal recording later. Obviously, uh, 10 bit 422 because it's Panasonic's whole thing. It's uh, gonna be a killer. And in interviews at Cinegear, uh, they were even talking about, like, guys, we know that this is gonna be like sort of competing with the EVA1. We see them as complementary. We think there'll be productions where they'll both be out. You're gonna have all the same problems that you always have trying to turn a still camera into a video camera, where getting audio in and out will be weird and time goat sync won't be as good and like the ergonomics won't be as good. You want a video camera, shoot a video camera, get the EVA1, get those Sigma Cine Primes on it, and um, Cine Zooms or Cine Primes, either one, and you're going to have XLR inputs and real audio controls and a good viewfinder, and it's going to feel like a video camera, and that's great. But a lot of people are going to buy the S1R and shoot video on it. Oh, and it's got Vlog and Vgamma, which is super huge, which is going to, which is going to make it the camera that like, every DP who shoots a lot of Vericam or a lot of EVA1 owns as their C camera. I'm always going to bring this to set and I can grab a random angle and I'm confident it's going to be able to intercut smoothly. Super exciting, the S1H. It's also really exciting because secretly I think it means we're going to have a full-frame Vericam within a year. Same sensor technology, Vgamma, uh, vlog, but then we're going to see all of the other uh, Vericam technology like dual native ISO and all of the ins and outs and power ports and accessories that make a video camera a video camera. I think we're going to see that. All right. It's basically two and a half stories, Apple, Panasonic, and then the uh, Blackmagic intensity for Apple, but that still feels like a robust episode for me. So don't forget, subscribe, Tell your friends about it. We're still growing our audience. You ever have a hey professor, hit me up on Twitter at Charles Hain. Weekendfilmtech.com is where you can subscribe to our mailing list where I send out just like an email of like here, links to the articles I talked about and follow up info and stuff like that. And uh, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And I will see you guys June 13th, 2019. And we'll probably still talk about some Cinegear stuff. Ooh, and I'm going to have hands on with another cool toy next week. So I'll talk about that. All right, everybody. Thanks for another week in film tech. 